Amen. Please find your seat and find your way to Galatians 5, verse 24. We'll go through verse 26 today, but we will start in verse 24. As always, fbcdan.com slash notes or taking a picture of that QR code. We'll get you to the notes if you'd like to take notes, and you can email that to yourself when you're done. <clears throat> so we've been in the fruit of the Spirit for three weeks now. We looked at what was leading up to it two weeks ago. We looked at the actual fruit last week, and we kind of finished up with a little snippet on how. And we're kind of continuing there today. So the fruit of the Spirit said a little bit differently. Same thing said a little bit differently is this. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, a gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. So Paul finished with that, that no law against such things. No law against such things. Kindness is, kindness is never not welcomed. Now, I know that's bad English, but it makes a point. Kindness is never not welcomed. It's always welcomed, even in the world. No one dislikes being someone being kind to them. Uh, even, even the majority of the broken world is in awe of someone that exhibits true patience. Everyone wants true joy. So, of course, the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant that God gave us, of course that's not in conflict with these things. But Paul did have conflict. We looked at two weeks ago. He did have conflict with the Judaizers, as they were, saying that there was this salvation that was faith in Jesus and, and that and can be any fill in the blank that we try to fill it in with. For them, it was circumcision at the time. For us, it could be a lot of other things. But not this, no law against the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what God wants in our lives, is this fruit. And again, we finished up last week with how. We just spoke on it for just a minute, just a little bit. We're digging further into that today. The Last week we said that the first thing you have to do is submit to the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit to be present in your life, the Spirit has to be present in your life first. So you have to submit to Jesus for salvation. You have to repent of your sins and be, and be baptized, as Peter says. Baptized with the Holy Spirit and hopefully eventually baptized physically to, to identify with Christ in that physical act. Confess Him as Lord and Savior because it's what you believe. That's the first step. He, he's what you trust. Jesus is, is who makes you right with God. Be saved is another way that we've said it in the Baptist church for a long time. And it's probably my favorite way to say it. Be saved. Be saved from your sins. Be saved to eternity. That's the first step. No fruit of the Spirit without the presence of the Spirit in the, in the get-go. You place faith in Jesus and he gives us the parakletos. He gives us the great comforter. He gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a great gift and we should be thankful for that. But that is the first step to be able to have this fruit in your life. The second thing is to earnestly seek to honor God by hearing and hearing his word. By hearing it and hearing it. By taking it in. By taking his word to heart. By desiring obedience is another way that we say it. Only he can do it. Only the spirit can produce fruit of the spirit. But he will only do it in a believer seeking faithful obedience. But how? Right? It's like... <laughs> Have you ever dealt with children much? You were a child once too, and you probably did this. You know, kids do that all the time. But how? Or why? Right? You explain it, but how? You explain it, but why? And they keep going. Okay? That's a, that's a good thing. You shouldn't stamp that out of your kids. That's a good thing to be that curious. It's how you learn. I remember my sister one time 
She's an incessant question answer her. Uh, she's, my, she's probably watching today in Texas. She likes to ask questions a lot, and it was driving my dad crazy one time. And, and he said, Sarah, why do you have to ask so many questions? And she was little, and she said, Daddy, how am I supposed to learn if I don't ask a question? And <laughs> so that put him in his place real quick. But that's the question we're asking today. How? That, I mean, that, that's the how, desiring obedience. But what does that mean? Like, let's dig into that today in the next few verses I think address this very well so starting in verse 24 of Galatians now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires or affections and lusts yours may say since we live by the spirit we must also follow the spirit we must not become conceited provoking one another envying one another father as we dig into your word today speak to me Lord change me change my heart Lord, and speak through me. Lord, make me a vessel, and only a vessel, Lord. Let me decrease, Lord, so that you may increase. May we hear from you and only from you through your word being proclaimed and preached and heralded today, Lord. May we hear it and hear it and take it into us and be changed forevermore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dig into these few verses, and then let's go watch the Razorbacks beat North Carolina. Amen. That's how you get, you mentioned the Razorbacks, you can always get an amen. It says, the first part there, verse 24. I love you, Tink. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Now, there's many ways that Paul could have said this. There's many ways that he does say this in other places in his letters. But he specifically says it this way here because he is specifically trying to link our minds with what Jesus has done for us to what that means for us. He could have said any other, he could have said abolish. He could have said die. He could have said submit to, but he didn't say that. He said that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, specifically linking what he's talking about here to Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. So our flesh has been, think about this, our flesh, our natural sinful self has been co-crucified on the cross with Christ. But that does not become reality in a human being's life until the moment of faith. It has already happened. Jesus' work on the cross was a finished and complete work. Absolutely. But that doesn't become reality for any human being until they place faith in Christ. And in that moment, when that happens, the point of conversion, then the reality of a crucified flesh for believers becomes real. What does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about all day today. But it does not mean that the desire to sin is killed. You know that. You've probably had a desire to sin a few times today. Probably already have a few times today. Right? Luckily, I come to church early on Sunday mornings, so there's not much traffic. So that's one thing that I avoid on Sunday mornings. Right? It's one, one less thing i got to re repent of before I stand here. There's a whole list of other things. Right? It doesn't mean that our desire to sin is gone. Or, or that our, our fleshly ability to sin is gone. We know that. We are wretched sinners. Period. Don't ever forget that. And God loves you anyway. Isn't he amazing? How could he? I don't know, but he does. Because that's how good he is. But what it does mean is that our flesh has been judged. When it says our flesh has been crucified, our flesh has been judged. Our sinful nature has been judged and found to be 
co-crucified with Christ. It's found to be righteous. Because of our faith in Jesus, we have been found righteous before God. Not because of anything we have done, but only and only because of what Jesus has done. That's a great, that's a great truth, right? Paul says it this way in Romans 6. In Romans, you know, he gets more in depth than just about every subject that he talks about in Romans than he does any of his other letters. And so in Romans 6, in verse 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order, there it is, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may, may no longer be enslaved to sin. And then skipping to verse 10. For in light of the fact that he died, he died to sin once for all. But in light of the fact that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Or he says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, or behold, new things have come. It's said all over the New Testament that this takes place. Right? And this is good news. It is good news that we have been baptized into Christ's death or joined him in his crucifixion. Because Paul states here, before that, if joined in the likeness of his death, then we will surely join him in the likeness of his resurrection. Why is it good news that we have joined him in his death? Because if we have joined him in his death, then surely, Paul says here, we will join him in his resurrection. So it's a hopeful thing that we have our flesh crucified, but it's also a practical thing. It's a practical thing. It says that it has no more dominion, no more reign, in other words. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. So again, sin's reign and rule was crucified on the cross, crushed on the cross, dead on the cross, with Christ, and transferred to us at the moment of faith. Sin's rule is dead, but its presence is still alive for now. It won't be alive forever, but its presence is still alive for now. And then you add the last part of that verse, and we get to the nitty-gritty. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Or the King James, the affections and the lusts. It says it very different way, not very different ways. It says it a few different ways in different English translations. Because ancient languages are hard to put into a modern language. Modern language has tons of words. Ancient languages have a few words that mean a lot of things. So that's why we have so, so many more words to describe what is taking place in these words. And it's... A, it's it's cool right here. Now, granted, when I say something in language is cool, I know that makes me sound like a complete nerd, and I don't care because I am a nerd. And I love to dig into words, into meanings, into language and stuff like that. It's cool. I think that's part of meditating on God's word. I think that's part of what he means. And passions and desires here in the Greek is pathema and epithumia. Pathema and epithumia. Epithumia... That second word, the epithemia, it is desire, it's craving, it's longing, it's desiring for what is forbidden, right? It's lust, right? It, it is that word, it's that word. It's, so it's the desire of our sinful self, that craving, that lust, that I want what I'm not supposed to have. Just like I used to use this illustration for a completely different reason in, in class. It's just like when I would tell students explaining this truth for a different reason. If I told you, don't think about the color red, you can think about whatever color you want to, any color that there is, but don't think about the color red. Under no circumstances can you think about the color red. Don't think about the color red. That is wrong. You can't do that, but you can think about any other color. 
And right now, all you can think about is the color red. Because that's the way we are. Right? That's, what, that's this word right here. That, that desire for, for, what, for what we don't need. For what we shouldn't have. Okay? And, and it, it definitely carries a sexual connotation to it. Because you've got to remember it's being linked to the, to the works of the flesh. That we've already looked at in the previous verses. And many of those are linked to the destruction of different sexual activity outside of what God prescribes sexual activity for. It causes problems, but that is something that we desire as simple human beings. But this word before it, pathima, this is a cool word. That, that which one suffers or has suffered, or an enduring, an undergoing, a suffering. This word pathima, in, in a few different conjugations, different ways, is used 16 times in the New Testament. Almost every other time, but here, it's translated into English as suffering. Suffering. In the, in the King James Version uh, translation of the Bible, Romans 7, 5, has it as motions, which is a weird way to say it, but it's linking it again to the, to the, the carnal desires. 2 Timothy 3, 11, and in 1 Peter 5, 9, the King James has this word as afflictions, which is a, which is a cool English word kind of describing What's, what's taking place here? Almost all English translations have it here in Galatians 5.24 as passions. Almost all of the modern translations translate this word as passions in this spot, but as sufferings in the other 15 spots it is used. Now, part of that is because, not to get too professory on you or anything, but part of that, when you have, when you have a language that only has a certain amount of words, when you put a noun and a noun together, or a verb and a verb together, you're giving it a double meaning, a stronger meaning, right? So when you put pathima and epithemia together, you're kind of linking those words together. But the word means suffering. It means suffering. So same word used here in Romans 8.18, one of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture. For I consider that the sufferings, pathima, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, right? That's suffering for good. Is what this is talking about. Or 1 Peter 5.1, linking it to Christ's suffering. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings, the pathema, of the Messiah, of Jesus, and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you. And then he goes on to tell them how to be pastors in that verse, in that next part. So crucified with the flesh with its pathema and epithemia, its passions and desires. It, it means that. That's what it means, right? But the meaning, if you, if you took the suffering part of that and really kind of put it in there, it could be said this way. Those belonging to Christ have crucified the flesh, that source of evil within us, along with the horrible consequences of suffering caused by its desires. I'll let you read that so you can see it. Those belonging to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh, which is the source of evil within us, that sinful us, not the literal body, but the sinful us, along with the horrible consequences of suffering caused by its desires, by the passions and desires, by the pathema and the epithemia. Think about what that means. That's very, very deep. That's why we should be thankful that the flesh has been crucified, because the sufferings caused by our sinful self has been killed. It has been, it has been ruled over. It has been judged and found guilty. But we have been judged and found righteous. That's awesome. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick and tired of the sufferings caused by sin. In my own life, in our world, in general. 
I long for the day that Christ makes everything good again, makes everything right again. I long for that. But many people that still need to be added into the kingdom before that happens. But that's a, that's a beautiful truth to hang your hat on, to live for that truth, that the sufferings, the consequences of the sufferings caused by his desires is dead because Jesus killed it on the cross. And he says because of that truth, because of the pathema and the epithemia, then we continue. Since that, right, since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Since that is true, since the reign of sin has been killed in your life, the reign of sin that causes the pain and the suffering and all the stuff that is associated with sin, since that is gone and now you live by the Spirit, then you must also follow the Spirit. So since that evil source that causes all sufferings because of our lustful, sinful desires within no longer reigns, because it has been crucified to death with Christ, it was crucified and defeated with Christ, since that is true, and praise God that is true, then this is what you should do. That's what Paul's saying as we dig deep into that. So he says, what do you do? Then you follow the Spirit. Since all that is true, then follow the Spirit. Your translation may say walk with the Spirit. Now there's different words for walk in the Greek. Most places in the Greek use a different word than what is used here. The word that is used here, if yours says walk, it's not wrong, but it's not complete, I don't think. It's this, this word here is not used very often in Scripture. It has a very specific meaning, but it's telling us here that we have to follow the Spirit. We must walk with the Spirit. We must live by the Spirit. We say it different ways, right? We say it all different ways. The NIV says it this way. You may have NIV. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that is a descriptively accurate way to say this in English. That's what this word is saying. Follow or walk with or keep in step with. This is stoikeo. Stoikeo is the Greek word here. Stoikeo. Cool word. It means to proceed in a row as the march of a soldier. To go in order. Right? So it's marching as soldiers, it's marching in rank. To be marching in rank, you have to someone, have someone that's leading the rank, right? Now, when used metaphorically, this, this word, when it's used not literally but metaphorically, it means to go on prosperly or to turn out well. But there's a, there's a military march of soldiers connotation here, which is a very cool way to think about it. Now, some of you have recently done this. If you've ever seen a military march of soldiers, it is something that is awe-inspiring, right? You see a whole company of soldiers marching together in step. It is just anything done by the military like that is just, it's just grand and big and huge. That's the connotation here. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing when the soldiers of the church march in step with the Spirit. But we don't just do it on our own, right? My dad was a Marine. He used to call out cadence when I was younger. I thought that was the coolest thing, right? I'm not going to do it because it will embarrass you, but... You know what I'm talking about. Left, right, left, but you say it really cool. That, that it's really neat. That's what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is leading us in that way, and we are to march with it. Since we live by the Spirit, sin is dead. Sinful flesh is dead. We live by the Spirit. We've been reborn, right? We just had an example of that today. Buried in His likeness, raised to newness of life. Since that is true, then let's walk by the Spirit, step by step with the Spirit. He leads and precedes every decision, every move, every word, everything. We say Spirit-led often. We often say that. That's literally what we mean when we say Spirit-led. Everything 
everything is following the proceeding of what the Spirit is telling us to do. What does that mean? It, it means this way. We don't just hold this as an idea in our head or a sentiment in our heart, a sentiment in our head and our heart. This is something that has to work out in the detail of our life. That's something the church has messed up a lot. You profess faith, we dunk you, congratulations. Heaven's your reward, now good luck. That's not following Jesus. That's not what Christ talks about. He talks about being reborn and made new so that you do stuff now. Not just sit around and wait for heaven to show up. We have marching orders that we should be marching in step with. We should be doing stuff now. So we can't just hold this idea in our head or in our heart. This needs to work out practically in our life. That's what Jesus says. Like if you're not working it out practically in your life, you're missing the point. Yes, heaven's going to be great and grander than any good thing you experience in this world. But God wants us doing things in this world. We desire to live out the fruit of the Spirit. We act out in our lives God's love. God's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance or self-control. And in faith, we trust that the Spirit will produce these in us knowing that we can't do it on our own. We desire to do them, and because we desire, the Spirit will produce them in our lives. We march in step with the following of our commanding soldier, our commanding officer, telling us how to go, where to go, what to do. And then he allows us and gives us the ability to do that. It's God. It's, it's Lord Jesus creating in us and through us all good things. And it's not of ourselves so that no one can boast, Paul tells us in Ephesians. We desire the opportunity to live out the faith. We look for the opportunity to share the fruit of the Spirit, to trust the Spirit to produce that fruit in our lives so that we can share it. Like a soldier following a highly qualified, highly trusted officer into battle. We hear his orders, we trust his orders, and we act upon his orders in battle. That's what this is saying here. Follow the Spirit. Stoicheo, follow the Spirit. March in step with the Spirit. We come together every week to jointly do this with the Word. That's why we're here. Praise and honor God, but to get marching orders. God's Word is what leads us. Jesus is the Word. The Spirit leads us. It's all, it's a beautiful thing called the Trinity. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. That's what we, we're, part of why we're coming here. How does this happen? It comes by fasting. It comes by prayer. It comes by hearing His Word. It comes by fellowshipping we, with each other to be strengthened in all of these things. We don't just come here just because. We don't do that. We come here to be strengthened, to get marching orders, to, so that we go out together and live out the fruit of the Spirit in the world so that God is glorified, so that those that don't know Jesus come to faith and are saved forevermore. And so in so doing, we find real satisfaction in our lives. That's what it comes down to. When we do this, God gets the glory. No boasting. No boasting. And if we do boast, Paul says a few verses later, I'm only going to boast in the cross of Christ. If I am boasting in anything, it's in what Jesus has done for me and through me. He's, he's put it to death. He's put sin's death, the reign of sin, the reign of suffering, he's put that to death from our sinful desires. And because it, because it is all of and from his finished work on the cross, then, finishing today, because of all that, 
we must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that, we take that out right there, and we say, all right, we shouldn't be envying each other. We shouldn't be conceited. We shouldn't be provoking one another, and that is true. But we shouldn't be doing those things in light of what Christ has done, and because of what Christ has done, he can do the, and manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and it's only by his working and only by his doing, and because of that, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, because we understand that all the good things in our life are not of our doing. They're of God's doing. Right? Remember the broad point Paul's trying to make in this entire message. This whole section we're looking at in Galatians. The broad point is, it, it is faith in Jesus. And it is faith in Jesus alone for salvation. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. And that's still what the point he's making here. You are saved because God saved you. That's it. You have eternal life because God gave you eternal life. If you have any of the fruit of this, the Spirit manifest in your life, it is because God allowed that and made that happen in your life. So since it's not faith in Jesus and be circumcised, then I have nothing to compare myself to you for. Right? It's not faith in Jesus and wear the right clothes. It's not faith in Jesus and be friends with the well-to-do and the powerful. It's not faith in Jesus and, in, and any other thing. And because of that, we, we can't compare ourselves to each other. We can't try to prove who's the better Christian because that's not how it works. Because you didn't do anything in the first place. I can't say I'm a better Christian than you. And you can't say you're a better Christian than me. Because it's not Jesus, faith in Jesus, and. There is no and. And that's a powerful thing. But when we forget that and try to start having our checklist of what makes us better than Joe Blow the Christian, then this is what manifests in our life. See, it's not that we concentrate on not being conceited, not provoking one another, not envying one another. It's that we focus on the fruit of the Spirit and the source of that fruit. We focus on God and His greatness and His goodness and His glory and His love. And when we focus on that and remember that's what it's about, we won't envy each other because we remember that there's nothing to be enviable of. There is nothing else. The message, the message says that we will not compare, the message translation, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us is better and another worse, we have far more interesting things to do with our lives. That's a cool way to say it in modern English, right? We're just going to share the fruit with as many people as possible, as many people as we can, and allow God to be praised because of that. And in this experience, we will experience the deepest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment that this world has to offer. That's what this life is about doing those things, doing these things for God. Because fruit's purpose is to be eaten. What happens to fruit if it just sits there? It spoils. See, <laughs> fruit has a purpose. It's cool that, that, that God used that word, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit could have said a lot of things. Like the rock of the Spirit, I don't know, could have said a lot of things. The wood of the spirit, the log of the, the tree of the spirit, the oak of the spirit. None of that. The fruit of the spirit. Fruit takes time to ripen. And then when it's ready and ripe, it is shared and it is eaten. Think about, think about it from the point of view of nature. Right? Fruit. Now, I don't want to be gross, but just think about it. Fruit, fruit is eaten and then it goes through whatever has eaten it. Right? 
and then it is eliminated. And then what happens when it's eliminated? The seed is spread, and then more fruit grows because of that. Interesting that God uses fruit of the Spirit here. We, when we share our fruit of the Spirit, eventually and ultimately, more fruit is produced. Right? We talk about that, bringing heaven to earth, advancing, spreading Growing the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is these things. It is a place where these things and only these things, the fruit of the Spirit, exist. The more we live out and desire and allow and submit the Spirit to work through us, and we have to be in the Word and in prayer and in fellowship with each other often for that to happen, the more we do that, the more it happens in the world. Right? We complain a lot about the world. Why are we complaining about the world? The world's being the world. The world's being what it's always been. It's our job to do something about it. We're the ones supposed to be out there multiplying the fruit of the Spirit into the world, not sitting in here talking about how bad the world is. What good does that do? Complaining has never changed anything. So when we share the fruit of our Spirit, eventually and ultimately more fruit is produced. See, nobody, nobody wants to hear our gospel if it's served, served with a side of dead, legalistic, I'm better than you superiority. Nobody wants to hear our gospel if it's shared from a condescending point of view. Here's why you need Jesus, so you can be as good as me. Here's why you need Jesus, because you're not good enough right now. Right? Nobody wants to hear that gospel. That's not good news. Right? But when, but when the good news of Jesus is shared... With heapings and heapings and heapings of sweet and delicious fruit. It's much more likely to be received. Much more likely to be received. When the, when the message that Jesus loves you and died for you and wants to save you from your sins and save you to eternity with God is shared with piles and piles and piles of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all of the sudden, the message and the purpose of following Jesus rings true. Oh, so I place faith in Jesus so I can have that in my life. That is good news. That is something that I want to do. Wow. That's how we follow Jesus. That's how we execute the orders of the Great Commission. We say it every Sunday. That's how we do it. We share Jesus with heaps and heaps and heaps of the sweet, sweet, delicious fruit of the Spirit. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. So... The question is, like it always is, what are you going to do about it? What are you individually going to do about the commanding orders that we've been given? Are you going to march in step? Are you going to be that dunce that's out of step with the group? Right? You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen Full Metal Jacket? So, I'll tell a quick story when we're done. So, <laughs> there was a guy that kept falling out on runs when my dad was in the Marines. You know, the Marines, have, they have specific ways to motivate you. It is not nice and cute and cuddly like, like it is everywhere else sometimes. And so this guy kept falling out and runs and kept falling out and runs, and he wouldn't finish. And so the commanding officer said, all right, put him in the front. Now, they got punished when he didn't finish the run. Let me preface it with that. They got punished when he didn't finish the run. They had to run more and more and more and more because they were sick and tired of this dude. 
So they put him in front, and the guy said, if he doesn't make this run, stomp his guts out with a few blankety-blanks thrown in there as you run over the top of him. And, I, of course, I was shocked when my dad told me this story the first time at my delicate little sensibilities as a young, young boy. I kind of looked at him like, what would you do? He said, <laughs> I stomped him as hard as I could as I went by. I was tired of being punished for that guy. All right? Now, I'm not saying we're going to stomp you if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, but I'm saying that's what you look like. That's, you know, if we're supposed to be left, right, left, and you're right, left, right, what are you doing? Let's get in step with each other because we're following the Spirit, and let's go spread the fruit of the Spirit to a lost and dying world that desperately needs these nine things more than it's ever probably needed it. Sure seems that way to me. Let's, let's spend time in the Word. Let's spend time in prayer. Let's spend time in worship. Let's spend time together so that we are encouraged and strengthened and provoked to good works, like it says in Hebrew. Let's not just do it to do it. Let's do it to do it, do the orders we've been given. And I think, I think that we will, we will enjoy life in a way that we don't understand what it means to truly enjoy life if and when we are doing that together. I think it will bring a sense of fulfillment to our lives that you don't experience any other way. It's the best way to live because it's God's way to live, so I know it's the best way to live. So if you've never done step one, submitted your life to Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, that's step one. If you hadn't thought about it for a while, step two, if you've, if you've fallen away, if you, if you really hadn't been taking it seriously for a while, I don't know, maybe spend some time in prayer during this last song. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Or maybe sing, sing this last song like you've never sung it before. I don't know. But whatever God's prompting you to do, let's do it during this last time together. Whatever God is prompting you to do, let's obey during this time, whether it's prayer, whether it's prayer together, whether it's singing this last song, whether it's just standing there and reflecting on the truth and the goodness that, that our passions and desires of the flesh have been co-crucified on the cross with Christ, knowing what that means now and for eternity to come. I don't, I don't know, but whatever it is, let's be obedient to Christ as we finish up today. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy and the wonderfulness that is you, God. We thank you that you have saved us from our sin and saved us to you, saved us to your goodness, saved us to the fruit of the Spirit, saved us to a life of fulfillment and satisfaction, a good, true, God-honoring life, a life that matters and has a purpose and a meaning way past what anything this world offers. It's such a lie what, what sin offers. God, it promises everything and delivers nothing. And we have so many people in our in our, in our lives, God, and, and even us at times, that we just we fall prey to that and we live for nothing. We live unsatisfied trying to fill up that, that hole of unsatisfaction with sin and with just the wrong things, God. Just strengthen us to desire, to want, to want your goodness in our lives, trusting and knowing that the goodness that that brings is, is far beyond anything we could manifest on our own, God. It's just better. It's better than us because you're better than us because you are the father of it all. And you just simply want to want to prove your goodness to us. So I pray that you would strengthen us to do that, God. To trust you, to have faith in you as we live out our lives for you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.